0: wind breathing out asthma to the wind dear friends we uh, we should learn, learn we should try in order to see things in the nature of interbeing We should uh, train ourselves to think and to see things in the light of interbeing Suppose we think in terms of left and right, the right and the left, and we may tend to believe that the left is not the right and the right is not the left. And sometimes we we like only the left. We don't like the right. We want to remove the right. But uh, looking deeply, we can see that the right is made of the left. And the left is made of the right. You cannot remove the left from the right and the right from the left. Looking deeply, we see that the left and the right are not enemies, but they contain each other. Without one, the other cannot be. Every time you have a presidential election, you think in terms of the two parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. And you take side. And you suffer. You are you happy? Because one party wins or loses. But if we look more deeply, we see that the two parties they are made of each other, and we can see a lot of things in common. And the growth of your party is due to the other party. The success of one party is made of the unsuccess of the other party, and so on. The Buddha uh, said that this is because that is. This is not because that is not. These words are very simple but uh, very deep. This is because that is. The right is because the left is. If you remove the left, there will be no right. If you remove the right, there will be no left. We tend to think that body and mind are the two different things. Mind is not body and body is not mind and we get caught in that kind of tendency to look at things. So we should try to train ourselves to see in a different way, in terms of non-duality, in terms of interbeing and to discover that mind is not mind, body is not body, body is mind, mind is body. This is a very fundamental. The nucleus scientists, they tell us that... Uh, a, um, Elementary particle of matter. Sometimes it manifests itself as a wave, and sometimes it manifests itself as uh, a particle. In our thinking, a wave is a wave. A wave cannot be a particle. A particle is can only be a particle. It cannot be a wave. But how come that the electron? sometimes manifests itself as a wave and sometimes as an electron. And therefore they have invented another word to call the same thing. Wave go. Yes. We it should learn to look our body and our consciousness in that way. Do not discriminate against the body and consciousness. Something manifests itself, sometimes as body, and sometimes as spirit. And looking deeply into the physical, the physiological, you might find out that it is not only physiological, it is also mental, it is also the mind. Mankind now is in a position to be able to uh, duplicate uh, a body. That is the practice of cloning. We can take one cell within our body, just one cell from anywhere in our body, and we can make it into entire body, an exact copy of our body. In each cell of our body is stored the whole cosmos, the whole stream of ancestors. All the qualities, all the shortcomings of our ancestors just in one cell. The mental, the physical, all of them are stored in just one cell. And if we begin to see deeply like that, we will no longer say that this is only matter, this is only the physiological. In the Buddhist uh, studies of the mind, we are remembered that uh, the body is first an object of our perception. And as object of our perception, it is perception. Because perception is made of uh, the perceiver and the perceived. Subject and object, if we, we try to analyze, there is a perceiver, there is the object perceived. And every perception has these two parts. And these two parts, they have to manifest themselves at the same time. We might have the tendency to think that uh, our perception is something like a yardstick. And we take it out in order to measure things. The subject of uh, perception, we may think that it is uh, an entity by itself and which we use in order to perceive uh, the object of perception, but that is not correct. Perception means, at the same time, subject of perception and object of uh, perception. Perception is always perception of something. Without the object of perception, that cannot be. It is like eating. Eating means eating something. You just cannot eat nothing. So we train ourselves to look, to touch things within ourselves and around us as objects of our perceptions, namely touching perception itself. We learn to do that in order to uh, not to get caught in the idea that, there, that uh, the object of our perception is something existing independently from our perception. Think of uh, Paris. You have been in Paris, or you, have, you might have uh, heard about Paris. You have, you, have, you have a perception of Paris. Paris, Paris in your perception, is the object of uh, your perception. And if you compare your Paris with uh, the Paris of your friend, well, these two things are very different, can be very different. Those so called Parisian. They live a uh, long time in Paris, when they compare their Paris, they got also very different kind of parrots. The nature of interbeing. We be very, we be much more careful when we touch our body, when we touch, uh, when we uh, have a perception of our body. We will no longer say that this is only the body, and that is something quite distinct, quite different from our mind. That is already helpful. It is like when we talk about the present moment. We cannot uh, talk without using, using words. But using words, we might get caught. When we hear that uh, we should try to go back to the present moment and live uh, only the present moment, we may have the feeling that uh, we are not allowed uh, to touch the past, uh, to conceive the future to arrange for a future, to plan for a future. Uh, We tend to think like that, to feel like that because we already have our our habit of thinking, of seeing. That is based on... uh, the view of uh, duality. Because it is the present, it is not the past. And because it is the past, it cannot be the present. While in the light of interbeing, the present contains the past. And the past also contains the present. The past is already gone, we say. The past is no longer there, we say. That is true, but that is not entirely true. Because uh, the present is made only of the past. And if we touch the present deeply, we also touch the past. And the past is not entirely... The uh, the past is not uh, truly... It is still there and we can touch it. We believe that we cannot go back to the past and fix things that we have destroyed there. But in fact, touching the present moment, we can still feel the past and the wounds of the past, the wounds that we have created ourselves in the past. We may think that uh, our ancestors are no longer there. But if we know how to touch the present moment deeply, we find out that our ancestors are still there within us. Still alive in us. If in the past I did something not my fault, if I said something unkind to my mother, and uh, the wound is still there in me. And if I touch the present moment, I can still touch the wound within me. I did say something not uh, very uh, sweet, not very kind to my mother. That made her suffer, and they, that made me suffer later on. So, so the wound is still there. Now, establishing myself in the present moment, I touch the present moment, and I also touch the wound that is in me. And because I can touch deeply the present moment, I can see that my mother is still in me, alive. How can it be otherwise? Because I am the continuation of my mother. I am my mother. My mother is myself. That's the insight you get when you are able to see deeply, when you are able to touch deeply yourself. My mother is myself. I am the continuation of my mother. She is alive, fully alive in me. And if I say, Mother, I'm sorry, I would not say something like that again. And I see my my mother smiling to me, and the wound will be healed. You can heal the wound of the past by touching the present moment. When your mind is changed, everything will change. That is the practice of beginning anew. Our mind has the capacity of beginning anew and recreate the cosmos. So everything of the past is still available to us. If we know how to touch uh, the present. And the same thing is true with the future. The future, we think, we might think that it's not yet there, but the future is already there. If we touch the present moment, we can touch the future, because the future is made only with one substance the present moment. And the best way to take care of the future, you know. That is to take care of the present moment. There is a professor of Buddhism in New York. He said that you cannot be a Buddhist, you cannot be called a Buddhist unless you believe in former lives and future lives. I smiled to him. I said, do you? really think that we have to believe like that in order to be a Buddhist. There is something more important than the belief, that is the insight. If you establish yourself in the present moment, and if you touch that present moment deeply, you will have the insight about your former life. In my former life, I was a bird. I was a rock, I was a cloud. I was a mountain. I was a squirrel. And this is not a mere belief, because I am touching myself, and I find that I am still a squirrel. I am still a cloud. I am still a tree. I am still a mountain. I am still a deer, a deer. If you take the mountain out of me. I can no longer be myself. If you take the cloud out of me, I can no longer be myself. I am actually all these things. That is the insight of being that I touch when I touch the present moment. When you touch the one, you touch the all. It is like uh, talking about a piece of bread. Last night, we spoke about a piece of bread. The piece of bread is the body of the whole cosmos, and if you touch the piece of bread deeply, you touch the whole cosmos. That is, it is. So, how could how could uh, I be here without the squirrel, without the mountain, without the cloud? And actually, in this very moment, I continue to be a cloud, I continue to be a deer, a squirrel, a mountain. So that insight is more important than just an idea about former lives, a belief. And that is true also concerning future lives. Because I can touched uh, myself deeply in this very moment, I can already touch the future. I know already what I am going to be in the future just by t- touching the present moment. This is a training, that is a practice. The practice of looking deeply. And when you, you are able to look and to touch deeply, you touch the nature, of interbeing within yourself and around, the Buddha proposed the term uh, nama and rupa. Nama means uh, the mental, and rupa means the form. The form can be considered as the body, and the mental considered as uh, the mind rupa is the, the sanskrit word for form and nama is uh, the, the word for the mental the consciousness the mind nama rupa it can go together as uh, as a word it's like a vaviko nama rupa sometimes the same reality is manifested as the nama, the same reality might manifested as rupa, so the distinction is only to have your practice. This is not an attempt to describe reality. This is something we should bear in mind. all analysis within Buddhist psychology is for the sake of the practice, not for the pure sake of. Uh, uh, understanding of analysis. So this is the simplest way of analysis. There is the body and there is the mind. Distinguishing like that in order to facilitate our practice. Because there is a contemplation, there is a meditation called the contemplation of the body in the body. And there is uh, a meditation on our mind that is called the contemplation of the mind, in the mind. Why this kind of repetition? Because while we do the work of of, uh, of uh, contemplation, of looking deeply, we should not establish ourselves as uh, a subjective... Uh, a, an um, um, outsider, an observer standing outside. We have to participate participate into the object of our, of our observation. And this is very essential in the Buddhist practice. In the French language, we have the word um, Comprong, which means understanding. It is made of the word prong, which means uh, pick up in your hand. And come. the prefix com means to be one with it. You pick up something and you become one with it in order to really understand it. So this is the same. When you practice looking deeply into something, don't try to stay as a separate observer. You have to participate. You have to be a participant and not just an observer. Because in the practice of deep looking the separation between observer and observe just vanish. And only by that time that observation can get deep. That is why the Buddha used the expression contemplation of the body in the body. Contemplation of the feelings in the feelings. Contemplation of the perception in the perceptions. Again, the stress on non-dualism, the stress on interbeing is very important in the the Buddhist uh, methodology. Therefore, the simplest distinction is nama rupa, mind and form. At this point, we should only remember that that reality, that reality, is manifested sometimes as form, sometimes as mind. And do not let ourselves be caught by the idea that form is not uh, mind and mind is not form. The second, the second kind of distinction is the distinction in terms of five uh, skandhas, five elements. Skandhas is an English word, uh, in Sanskrit word, it means uh, hips. we can uh, translate as five elements, aggregates. And the first, imagine this circle representing a tangerine. And there there are five sections in the tangerine and the first section being rupa means uh, form the body the body and then the second pers- the second section of the tangerine is uh, represents uh, our perceptions Perception is rather the third. The second is feelings. The fourth section of the Tangerine represents uh, our mental formation. And the fifth section of the tangerine would represent our consciousness. Again, this distinction is for the sake of the practice, helping us to practice. We can see it very really clearly by the fact that mental formation here include feelings and perceptions before feelings belong to a category of mental formations. First of all, I would like to say something about formations. Formation is a technical term. It means everything that is made of everything else, conditioned things, like a flower. A flower is a formation because a flower is made of the seed, of the plant of the sunshine, of the rain, of the earth, of the mineral, of time, of space. A flower is made of non-flower elements. So the flower is a formation. The table is a formation because the table is made of elements. Different kind of elements. The piece of bread we talked last night about last night is a formation. Samskara is the term in English. Samskara formation, and uh, a table is a rupa samskara. It means uh, a material formation. But our anger. Our sorrow is a mental formation. Our hate, our love, our fear, all of them are formations, are mental formations. So if we analyze our fear, our anger, we see that our fear is made of elements, including the the element hope. If we don't have hope, we will not have fear. Since we have hope in such a such a way that is fear become possible. So fear is a mental formation. Love is a mental formation. Hate is a mental formation. And uh, in Mahayana Buddhism, uh, the are uh, we talk about uh, 51 categories of mental formation. And when I was a novice, I had to memorize all these 51 categories of mental formations. And among these uh, 51, feelings is one category, because feeling, a feeling, is a mental formation. Perceptions are also mental formations. A perception is a mental formation. Therefore, here is one mental formation, the first one. Here is another one. And that is why here there are 49 left. 49 left. So this fourth uh, section of the Tangerine represents 49 mental formations. And if the analysis is for the sake of analysis, uh, they would include uh, 51, right? If it is divided like this, because the practice of contemplating the feelings and the feeling is so important, that is why we have to take it out as uh, a category by itself. And the contemplation of perceptions is also very important. That is why we have to, to single it out as uh, a category. So what I am trying to say is that this kind of analysis is for the sake of the practice and not for the analysis for, for the sake of analysis by itself. And perception always includes subject of perception and object of perception. Form is the object of perception itself. We cannot form, exist independently from perception, and yet we have to separate and to consider form as one skanda and perception is another skanda. So this is because that is, that is because this is. We see the nature of intervening between the two, between the three, between the four. And what I recommended this morning is that we should get used to the way of looking, of touching, of thinking in such a way that we can see the one in the all, and the all in in the one namely in the light of interbeing. In English, we have the word uh, to be. Interbeing has uh, the idea of to be in it. To be and to interbe may be just the same. If you look deeply into the nature of being, we will discover the nature of interbeing. Because with the practice of looking deeply, we find out that uh, it is impossible for something to be by itself alone. Nothing can be by itself alone. Like a flower. It is impossible for the flower to be itself by itself alone. It has to be made of non-flower elements including the cloud, the sunshine, the seed, the earth and so on. A flower cannot be by itself alone. It has to interbe with everything else. So to be means to interbe. And the word to interbe, it reveals more reality than the word to be. Nothing has a separate uh, has a separate entity. Nothing has a separate self. And that is why the notion of no-self can be found in the, in in the expression interbeing. being. A flower is full of everything in the cosmos. Touching deeply a flower, we can touch everything in the cosmos. A flower is only empty of one thing. A separated self. A separated existence. And that is why the expression emptiness is very helpful. To be empty means to be empty of a separated existence. To be se- to be empty of a separated self. You and I, we are all empty of a separated self because our true nature is the nature of interbeing. This is because that is. This is a wonderful way to look at things. When we look at form, we have to look in such a way that we can touch. The nature of intervening a form, form is made of non-form elements. Body is made of non-body elements. Perception is made of non-perception elements. And in that way, we will never get caught in duality in the idea of uh, self. This kind of uh, presentation is for the purpose of the practice. <laughs> because the object of our meditation, of our deep uh, observation, may be just for. The contemplation of the body in the body, how to handle our body, how to touch deeply our body, how to understand our body, how to bring peace and solidity into our body. And while contemplating this, we see the connection between body and feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. If you know how to practice the contemplation of the body in the body, and if you can do it deeply, you already have practiced the contemplation of feelings in the feelings, perceptions in the perceptions, etc. we have to come back to the Tangerine later. Now let us uh, take the four the four last uh, sections of the tangerine and make it in two sections and this section represent 51 mental formations. And this section represents consciousness. Mental formation, consciousness. This consciousness is called by different names, with different names, by different schools of Buddhism. In the Sarvastivada school that was uh, established in Kashmir, north of India, the Sarvastivada school uh, was flourishing. And it, it uh, continued to flourish uh, during a long period of time, nearly 1,000 years. And from that, that, many of the teachings uh, have penetrated into China. The Sarvastivada school uh, used to call this consciousness by the expression roots consciousness consciousness of the root mula vishnana. mula means the root the base in mahayana buddhism the school of vishyanavada the school of uh, manifestation of consciousness it's called Alaya Vishnana. Alaya means store. Store consciousness. Alaya means the store. Store consciousness. Why do they use the word store? Because this consciousness has the capacity of storing many things. And the object of storing are called seeds. (coughs) Seeds. The Sanskrit word is Bija. We have a seed of uh, we have a seed of compassion in us, we have a seed of uh, jealousy in us, we have a seed of uh, fear in us, we have a seed of joy in us, we have s- several kinds of seats in us. The seeds of the 51 categories of mental formations are stored here. positive, uh, wholesome seeds, negative, unwholesome seeds, they are all there, buried in the deep soil of our store consciousness. They are there in the form of business, potentials. And every time, one of the seeds is touched by ourselves or by another person or by a circumstance. And then that seed will manifest itself on the level, upper level of our consciousness in the form of uh, energy, which is a mental formation. Mental formation. So there are, two, there are two terms. The first term is Seed. The other term is Formation, Mental formations. From a Seed, there is a manifestation in the upper level of our consciousness. And when it manifests itself, it is called a Mental Formation. And this upper level of our consciousness is called Mind Consciousness. Mind Consciousness is the space where the mental formations manifest themselves. Sometimes just one, sometimes two at the same time. And all these manifestations into mental formations have the root in store consciousness. And every time a seed, a Bija manifested itself here on the upper in the upper level of our consciousness, it will stay there for some time. And if it stay longer, There will be some growth, some development at the base. Suppose the seat of joy in you is touched by your friend, by your teacher, by a happy event. It is manifest here as a zone of energy the energy of joy. And if you can maintain it alive in your mind consciousness for 5 minutes and down here the seat of joy will have 5 minutes to grow to be strengthened. The energy of anger if it stay here too long down here the seat of anger will grow So, the time when a, with which a mental formation can continue here in mind consciousness determine the sense of growth of the seed down here. And if uh, we allow the seed of anger in us to be touched, to be watered several times a day, and then the energy of anger will have plenty of chance to be here. And down there, anger becomes more and more important because we allow the rehearsing of anger to take place several times within ourselves. So a meditator would not allow the mental formation called anger to be there for a long time. The meditator would know to do something in order to take care of this zone of energy so that it will not uh, overwhelm the whole uh, uh, scenery. And usually the meditator invites another seat to manifest up here, the seat of mindfulness she will practice mindfulness of anger. Mindfulness as a zone of energy that she uses in order to embrace her anger. Here is zone one, the energy number one. This is the zone of energy number two. This energy recognizes, embraces, bring the relief to this zone of energy. (coughs) And because of this practice, anger will soon go down, go back to its form as a visa, as a seed. And even if uh, anger is still there, anger will not be able to cause damage because some other form of energy is taking good care of the energy of anger. Mindfulness is a mental formation. Anger is a mental formation. Using this energy to take care of that energy is the practice. Tall consciousness is sometimes called the consciousness of all the seeds, the totality of the seeds. All the seeds. Sapa <cười> That is the under name of uh, store consciousness. is sometimes described as uh, as the soil, as the earth, as the garden that has the capacity of uh, maintaining storing all the seeds. And these seeds, all these seeds have been transmitted to us by our ancestors, our parents. Modern psychology in the West described uh, the unconscious, but the unconscious is make only a small part of store consciousness. The territory of store consciousness is extremely vast, and we are going to learn about uh, the nature and the function of uh, store consciousness. The practice of meditation may be described as the practice of recognizing the seeds that are in us, to identify the seeds that are in us, and to help the wholesome seeds to grow and to avoid touching and watering the negative seeds in us. And the practice, the principle for the practice is quite simple. During walking meditation, during sitting meditation, you may like to do the work of recognizing the seeds within yourself. The seeds that are easy to be identified within you. the capacity of being joyful, the capacity of uh, accepting the willingness to offer joy and happiness. All these things we can recognize, identify by our breathing and smiling. We know that every time a negative seed is uh, touched, it will manifest itself on the level of mind consciousness. It makes us unhappy and it makes the people around us unhappy. That is why the practice is to refrain from touching the negative seeds in us. And we may ask the person who lives with us to help us in the practice. Darling, if you really care for me, please be careful not to touch the negative seeds in me every day. <coughs> yeah, people who take care of each other, who love each other, should take care of each other. And every one of us has negative seeds. And if we keep water watering our negative seeds. We be become unhappy and we cannot make the other person happy. That is why we have to practice and we have to ask the other person to help us in the practice. We have to sign an agreement. I recognize these negative seeds in you, my darling, and I do my best in order not to touch them, not to water them. For your For your well being and for my happiness, also. So, we practice as an individual, we practice as a group, as a couple, as a group of people. A therapist can help his client to recognize the positive seeds in him. In him, to identify them, and to practice watering these seeds by himself, and the psy- the therapist can help watering these seeds. When you meet your client, and your client prefer and have the tendency to talk about what is wrong, and we neglect about what is not wrong. A therapist should learn to help his client to touch what is not wrong within himself or herself. And not just to talk about what is, what is wrong. There are plenty of uh, positive things within and around why don't the therapy high Why don't we practice touching these positive, refreshing, nourishing and healing elements for the sake of, uh, of the healing? Because uh, even if we don't touch what is wrong, even if we touch only what is right, what is uh, positive, we can already begin To transform and to heal what is wrong, what is negative. We know that uh, if our body uh, is strong, if if we can help our body to be strong, and then we can overcome the illness that is there in our body. We can overcome the wrong, the negative by supporting the positive. You don't have... It is not absolutely necessary to deal with, or to touch, or to talk about the negative. In the Omega retreat, the Vietnam veterans, they love to talk about the suffering. They love to practice uh, writing, talking, sharing about suffering. I always advise them not to do that too much because um, to rehearse, to allow the seed of suffering to manifest too much, to help them to, to grow down here. I always advise my friends, the Vietnam veterans, to allow themselves to release the past, to learn how to touch the positive, the refreshing, the nourishing in the present moment. And if they can just do that, they will be able to transform the negative things within themselves. There is a tendency to cling to the suffering, to cling to the, the past, as if uh, there is, that is the only reason to be. This is a malady, this is uh, not healthy at all. Sometimes we cling to our anger. We think that if we release our anger, there will be nothing left. And that is a tendency within us. We have to recognize it in order to be able to let it go. refraining from watering the negative seed. And if the negative seed has already manifested itself up here, practice in such a way that can help it to go back as quickly as possible to the form of a bija by recognizing, embracing, smiling to it. Taking good care of it. And if we cultivate our mindfulness, that energy of mindfulness will be able to do (coughs) that work. The other aspect of the practice is to recognize the positive, wholesome seeds in us and organize our daily life in such a way that we can touch these positive seeds every day. To help them manifest here, in order for them to be strengthened at the base. The base here is store consciousness. And we will ask The person we love, the persons we love, our friends, to help us do the same. Darling, if you love me, if you really care for me, please try to water the positive seeds in me every day. That's not only for my sake, but for your sake also. Because if I am happy, you will be happy also. So one of the homework we may like to do, maybe uh, some walking meditation in a non-thinking mood, just in a being mood and touching the wonders of life that is that are available in the here and the now. And then we may like to sit down and using a piece, a piece of paper and to, to write it down the positive seeds in us that need to be touched, to be watered every day. The negative seeds that we should refrain to water and to touch every day. And we use our intelligence our creative uh, energy in order to figure out how to do it. We do that as an individual. We can do, do that with the cooperation with the other person who cares very much about our well-being, our happiness. And the practice can be collective. There should be a kind of part, kind of treaty between us in order for the practice to continue to be successful. Every time a negative energy manifests itself, we should be able to recognize it. We are not responsible. We are not the only one responsible for all these things within us. Many of the habit energies have been transferred to us have been transmitted to us by generations of ancestors well our parents and if we are practicing embracing holding recognizing smiling to it we practice for all our ancestors at the same time our ancestors our parents may have not had a chance to learn the practice But we have a chance to learn about practice. So, we are now practicing for all of them. And we can end the samsara, the vicious uh, circle, in order for us not to transmit it to the future generation. Very often, children suffer because of uh, the negative energies in their parents. And they make the they, so a resolution not to do like their parents when they grow up. They are very sincere. When I grow up, I will not do like my father. I will not do like my mother. But in fact, when they grow up, they will do exactly the same thing. Because uh, the seed has been transmitted they don't know how to handle this this is continue to push them to do things that they don't want to do so ending the wheel of samsara here means not to allow it to continue to push us to make us suffer and to make other people around us suffer but for the positive energies and habits I think we should allow them to continue, to grow. And if we can develop these wholesome seeds, we have something to offer to our children, to the future generations, to our society. And with the energy of mindfulness, we can invite one, two, three of these seeds, Come and stay here. Because the more the longer they stay here, the stronger they become at the base. Manas. Alaya. Alaya is down here. Up here is manas. Mano-vishnana. Mano-vishnana. That's the name of mind consciousness. And down here, Alaya-vishnana, store consciousness. A little bit more about the names of uh, store consciousness. The first is the capacity of storing. To store. That is the function, the function of store consciousness. To store. To maintain, to keep, not to lose—that is the function of store consciousness. Second, what is what is being stored, namely, all the seeds. Store consciousness is the capacity to store and the content of the storing, namely, all the seeds that are in us, the totality of the seed. Third, it is the victim of a kind of uh, misconception as self. There is the mental formation hidden behind manas. There is a tendency of grasping The tendency is made of uh, a long time, long lasting habit energy, a series of uh, wrong perceptions, of illusions, of confusions. They tend to embrace <coughs> part of store consciousness and <coughs> consider it as the object of self. <coughs> this is uh, called in Vietnamese Nang Tang. Nang Tang. The subject, the capacity of uh, storing. This is called in Vietnamese "sở tang, sở What is being stored? And this is called in Vietnamese "ngã chấp chấp The object uh, grasped as uh, itself. The image that has been used in order to talk about this is manas. Manas is born from Alaya. Manas is manifested from within Alaya. And turn around to grasp alaya as the object of self. Manas is not capable of uh, of of seeing the whole of alaya. It has created an object by a very superficial way of touching and consider this this part this uh, object of its perception as self. And all the fear, all the craving, all the misery and suffering have been born because of this uh, wrong perception. Grasping, manas grasping Alaya as a self. So Alaya, first of all, is the capacity to maintain all the seeds. Alaya is also the totality of the, of the seeds that are being stored. And Alaya sometimes can be wrongly grasped as the object of self. Dear friends, last night, I talked about um, how to react when uh, you see things that are not to your liking. This is a quotation from a sutra. A wise person, when she has some sorrow, suffering in herself, some difficulties, would like to ask herself these questions. I have some sorrow within me. What could I do in order to be free from that sorrow and to transform it? What have I done in order to to free myself from that sorrow? Have I succeeded in doing so? Whom I have to ask the assistance in helping me in this kind of practice so that I can free myself from my sorrow, my suffering? Have I consulted my teacher about how to transform the sorrow in me? Have I consulted my brothers and sisters in in the Dharma in order to free myself about how to free myself from the sorrow I presently have? The unwise people, When they have sorrow within them, they ask these questions. Who has wronged me? (laughs) Who has caused my suffering, my sorrow? How could I do in order to... for people, to to tell people, to show people that I am a victim of... uh, of injustice, of uh, the wrong doing of, uh, on the part of other people? How can I just justify myself as only the fact that I am only a victim? This suffering has been caused by him or by her. How can I punish him so that I get a relief How can I make him or her suffer so that uh, I can feel better? What could I do so that that person suffer a lot so that uh, next time he will not uh, dare to do that to me again? To whom should I talk about my suffering, share my suffering? Whom can support us in opposing the other person? How to make that person not existing so that he will not be able to continue to make me suffer? Where should I go in order to avoid contact with that person so that I don't have to talk to him to see his face and to work together with him. And these are questions asked by the unwise person every time he has uh, sorrow and suffering within him. <coughs> I guess that the Buddha was trying to say that every one of us has the right to suffer. But the practitioner, if we call ourselves a practitioner, we we do not have the right not to practice. The non practitioner, yes, he has the right to suffer and the right not to practice. But we are a practitioner. We have the right to suffer, but we do not have the right not to practice. And the practice... is to ask oneself the question suggested by the Buddha. (coughs) I have sorrow within me. What I can do in order to get to... Transform the suffering and to be free from it. What I have done, have I succeeded? Whom I can ask to support me in this practice? Have I asked my teacher? Is how. To practice in order to get out of my sorrow, have I asked my dharma brother or sister as how to practice in order to get uh, to 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 free myself from that suffering? And I think uh, this may be very helpful to write down these questions to read again every time we find ourselves caught in our sorrow. No, it's not good.